and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. everybody, it's Brother Frank here with another episode of The Remnant Call. Just want to say God bless each one of you. Um, we're in trying times. There's no doubt about it. We are in deceptive times. There's no doubt about that. But I want to ask you a simple question. Are you ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Do you believe Yeshua is going to return in your lifetime? How about when we hit the part where it says that men's hearts will fail them for fear, just for fear of what's coming? Are you ready for that? What about losing everything? What about having the rug just jerked out from running? What happens when they come and shut your job down? What happens when we can't just run to the grocery store? Are you ready? I bet the answer for most of us is no, we're not. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And we're going to talk tonight about godly sorrow. What does it mean? How can it benefit? What, how can it be life-changing? And why is godly sorrow essential for end-time preppers? People who want to be ready. You know, they talk about doomsday preppers. And a lot of those doomsday preppers, they're prepping. They see the world's coming to end, but there's no hope. They think they can sur- save their own tails, their own rear ends by burying themselves deep under the ground. Well, folks, I'm telling you, you need to bury yourself under the shadow of his wings because in that you will find safety. And you know what happens? When God has his wing over you, it means he, all of you, your life is under his authority. Now, all the earth is under truly the Lord's authority, but he allows things to happen and he gives you a right to choose. Whether you want to follow or whether you want to do your own thing. Because love can never be forced, and so God doesn't do this. But so many people, you want to be prepared. And we're going to talk about tonight what it really means, godly sorrow, how it can change your life. Well, I'm going to open with just a word of prayer, and we're going to jump into this program. Father, in Jesus' name. I ask that you would bless this show to, to really help us, Lord, to understand that godly sorrow is not something to be feared, but it is something to embrace, because out of deep godly sorrow comes deep heart repentance. And so, Lord, I hope you will help us, Lord. I believe it because I'm asking it in Yeshua's name, that you would help us to be prepared, to be willing to allow you to dig deep within our souls so that we will be not afraid of what's coming, but understand with joy that our Lord is coming to save us. Even if everything burns down, if it falls apart, if the world goes crazy before us, it's okay, because if we're in the Lord, we will be okay. Because I ask it in Yeshua's precious name. Amen. Well, folks, praise God. Uh, If you didn't hear last last week's episode, excuse me, prepared for the... 
for the end times part two. That was a, a, a second part to a first part I did last year in 2017. So if you didn't catch that, you can go back to that one also. But folks, I talked last week about moving from preparing to being prepared. And tonight what we're going to talk about is another piece of that puzzle of what it means to actually move forward in our preparation. Um, you know, there's nothing obviously we can do to earn salvation, but, but you've got to understand, and, and don't let anybody deceive you, if you think that living a half-hearted, half-step walk with the Lord is going to be sufficient, you have truly deceived yourselves. Because it is either you are all in, or you're not in at all. And, and I know that's, that may be troubling to some folks, but it's either in or out. You know, I'm not talking about when we struggle or we have a problem, we mess up, we do I'm talking about are you in this thing or are you out? And that's why godly sorrow is something we need to understand and why it will benefit the believer. You know, on the eve of All Saints Day in 1517, on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Martin Luther, you remember, penned his famous 95 Thesis, and with the very first point of his reading on this thesis, this is actually the very first point. This is what it says. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he called the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. Do you understand? He said, when the Lord said it's time to repent, that means it is our entire life we are to be about repentance, changing. You know, if you look up, I, I love the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. It's not the original language, but it does help you to understand when they translated the King James into our modern language, what did they actually mean? Why did they pick that word? What did it really mean? And so if you look up, you know, in the 1828 Noah Webster, it says repentance is a change of mind or a conversion from sin to God. Uh, it could also be said the act of changing the course 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Now, that's my interjection into there. But the Strong's simply puts it down and just means it means to reconsider, um, you know, to feel compunction, to repent. And so you see there is so much more than just the act of turning when it comes to repentance, it's not only just returning, but there's got to be something down there, some basis from what your repentance comes from. You know, there's a theology behind the word repentance, and it begins with that foundation that I just mentioned of where your repentance must start. Let me give you an example, okay? When you were young and you wanted a cookie, right, from the cookie jar, and you knew you weren't supposed to to do it, but you took it anyway, and, and no one knew about it. You didn't just, you know, very nonchalantly sit around and think to yourself, you know, that cookie was delicious, but I really think getting that cookie was just too easy. And, and you know, mom says I shouldn't do it, so I'll just keep getting cookies because that seems like a good practice. So I'll just stop, excuse me, stop getting cookies. That's not going to happen. Or, or could you imagine Charles Manson, you know, just sitting in his cell one day and saying, you know, it would have been a whole lot better if I would have just started a cult and been a responsible for all these people getting killed. I don't think I would ever do that again. I'm just going to stop doing that and, and, and never do something like that again because that just wasn't a good thing to do. And we know talk like that would be crazy. He's not going to just sit around one day and say, you know what, maybe I should have just reconsidered. 
Or maybe I shouldn't have done that. That's not what's going to happen. Repentance has to come from some type of a foundation in order for repentance to truly be repentance. It's not just something you sit around and contemplate one day and say, you know what? I think I'll just stop. That's not that's maybe not the best thing to do. No, it comes from some type of conviction on a foundation. And I want to look at Acts chapter 2, because I think Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37, begins to show us this foundation of where repentance truly comes from. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says this, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, And to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, let me give you a little bit of background to that. Peter comes out in Acts chapter 2, and he gives an absolutely blistering sermon. I know we read through it nonchalantly, but he is absolutely laying that sermon down on the people. Tell them, you're responsible, you crucify the Lord. You know, he is laying it out. It's not a a seeker-friendly message, as they would call it. This is a hard thing. He's calling them out on it. And so at the end of the message, they respond back and say, now, you know, men and brother, what must we do? There was something going on in their hearts. And so Peter says unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation, who afterwards devoutly and charitably conversed together, the apostles working many miracles and godly daily increasing his church. Then when they gladly received his word, were baptized in the same day, there were added unto them about three thousand souls so here peter remember he lays down that sermon and instead of getting upset and saying how dare you say something like that they were pricked in their heart and out of that conviction comes this sense of what must i do You see, when repentance comes from a foundation of conviction or sorrow, then the repentance is not just something you do, but it is a response to what you have done and what God has done for you. You see, if you read more of the definition in the 1828 dictionary, it says this about repentance, real penitence, sorrow or deep contrition for sin. As an offense and dishonor to God, a violation of his holy law, and the basest ingratitude toward a being of infinite benevolence. This is called evangelical repentance and is accompanied and followed by amendment of life. See, when repentance comes from a foundation of conviction, it is real because it has come from the innermost being of your soul. You know what it's like when something is superficial because it doesn't last. It doesn't mean anything. It's here today, gone tomorrow. You know, they said that Charles Spurgeon never had an altar call ever because he believed if you were convicted in his church service on a Sunday, you would be convicted on a Monday because the power of the Holy Ghost was so strong that it convicted you then, you will be convicted the next day. They say more people were healed in their services than in all the hospitals in Britain. 
That's the power of conviction that brings about repentance. When the, when the innermost core of your being is touched, repentance is a most beautiful thing. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 8 and 10. I want to just share a little bit here out of this wonderful book, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter. Now remember, Paul wrote some things pretty hard, you know, and he says, listen, I know I, I made you sorry. He says, so though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. And so what he's saying is, I, I, listen, I, I know I made you sorry, and, and I don't repent, even though at the time when I thought I, I, I did, I felt bad about it, I repented. But now I'm, I'm not repenting because I understand this is what happens. It says, for I perceive the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it for, were for but a season. So Paul says, listen, I was sorry, but I'm, now I'm saying I'm not sorry because I understand that what I wrote, it made you sorry, but it was only for a season. There was something greater that was about to take place. And now it says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. He says, I don't enjoy, I'm not, tr- I'm not here to make you feel bad. My goal in life is not to beat you down. That's not what I'm here to do. But he's saying, but that ye were sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And so he's saying, listen, this sorrow that you felt, it was godly. And it brought about repentance. It made a difference in your life. And godly sorrow makes change. But earthly sorrow, when you steal something or when you do something wrong and the police catch you from speeding or you, you did something earthly, he said, that just works death. There's a penalty to be paid for that. Because earthly sorrow, is, is that's what it is. But when it's godly sorrow for what you've done, because you've offended a holy God, you know then that this is life-changing, salvation-making repentance. Did you hear what he said? For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. So he talks about the two types of sorrow. Two types of sorrow. And I want to look at these two types of sorrow here for just a moment. Because the one we talked about is godly sorrow. But then he said also about the earthly sorrow. Now, If you're like me, you might have had a speeding ticket or two or five or more in your lifetime. I've had some issues through the years, especially when I was younger. Uh, My wife had to ban me from driving on trips. That's a true story because I had so many speeding tickets. If I sped one more time, I was going to lose my license. Good chance. So my wife said, you're done driving on trips. And so I sat in the passenger seat, and really, after a while, I learned to like riding in the passenger seat. I'm not going to lie. But I had a problem with speeding, and even to this day, my daughter says, Dad, you either drive way over or way under. I can't ever find the happy middle when I'm driving. But you know what it's like when you get that speeding ticket, right? Oh, man, I feel so bad for what I did. And it's not because you broke the law. You don't feel bad because you broke the law. 
You feel bad because you got caught breaking the law. And so your earthly sorrow, the sorrow you felt was because you got caught doing wrong, and now you got to pay a price for it. And that makes you feel bad. That, my brother and sister, is earthly sorrow. When you mess up, when you do something and you get, or you, you do something wrong and you get caught, you get called out and you hate it, and that sorrow, all it works is death in life. Look at those who have committed murder, those who commit certain crimes. They're, as long as they don't get caught, they're fine. But as soon as they get caught, many of them, many times, oh, I'm so sorry. But were they sorry before that happened? Or were they sorry that they got caught? See, you don't want to get to the end of time and realize that you really were only sorry because of earthly reasons, and that's why you went to church, because you felt bad. Or you followed the Lord because that's what you're supposed to do, and you committed some sins, and now I better follow the Lord a little bit because I feel bad. And really, it's only because you got exposed a little bit and caught, and you realize, honestly, it's only earthly sorrow because you were only doing it to get something from it. But godly sorrow is something different. You see, I, if you've never heard my story, you look on YouTube or in the hist- under the Remnant Call channel, you can find the return of the prodigal son. But the truth was, I was a raging drug addict for years. I've committed every sin just about you can commit. And the biggest problem I had was I didn't feel conviction at the time. I truly loved my sin. But I hated the fact the day I realized I couldn't get out of it, and I was caught, and I was trapped. And so I remember what it felt like thinking, you know, I can never get out of this sin. And I knew the health benefits of this drug addiction and all my family was going to be bad. But I didn't realize how honestly I had offended God for what I had done. You see, those men, when Peter was preaching to them, and when Paul had wrote some hard words, it wasn't that they were upset and sorry because of the world. They understood what they had done and how they had offended God. And they're saying, men and brother, what must we do? But it was that moment that day I had this coming to Jesus, driving down the road, and God broke through all that fog, and he blew it out of my mind in an instant, this, you know, meth head, dope smoking, uh, you know, everything you could imagine individual, and he blows it out of my head, and in in an instant, he reveals to me, Frank, this is where you're going to end up in your life, and I got scared, and I understood that I had offended God for what I had done, and I didn't want to go there. And I understood that my sin and who it was directly against and all those things that it came up in that moment, I realized it's between me and God right now. Because folks, all the things you've done wrong, at the end of time, even like David, when he had sinned against Bathsheba, he said, Lord, I sinned against you and you alone. Because that's who it's going to be on Judgment Day. And it was when I understood who I had offended that he reached out and he offered me another way. 
And I may have left my house a meth head strung out, my family leaving me it all over, but I came home that day and I got born again because I had asked for forgiveness because repentance came from a foundation of conviction. And when my heavenly father received me in, it was truly life from the dead. See, but my concern with doing this is, it's, the, it's my real concern, honestly, folks, it's for those of you who have been in this message for a long time. It's for those of you who have known the Lord for a while. It's for those of you who have been in this for quite some time. Maybe your family were believers, your grandparents, and you went to church, or you're a believer, and you're just following the same way. And so your whole lives, you've been following the Lord for quite some time. Because that's just what you're supposed to do. My concern for many of you is, are you actually saved? Are you actually saved? Now, I'm not here to tell you if you are or aren't. But I'm here to ask you that question. Are you actually saved? Because if you are, my question is, then what are you saved from? What are you saved from? You see, many of us, we talk about needing a Savior. But my question is, what is He saving you from? Are you just trying this Jesus thing on to see how it can improve your life? Or did you have a real encounter at some time in your walk with the Lord where your sins manifested before you and you realized just how much you had offended God and how desperate you are in need of a Savior? What are you being saved from? I'm not trying to make salvation difficult, folks. I'm not at all. Because it's not difficult. But without repentance, what are you being saved from? I'm not talking about walking around this life of being miserable. That's not what I'm saying. My question is, have you ever been confronted with your utter sinfulness and realized how much and how lost you are and how desperately you are in need of Jesus Christ to save you? Can I just be honest for just a moment, please? Are you being saved from? Because if, you're, if you think you're working your way in, then you're going to be sadly mistaken. And I'm not saying we don't have words, folks. You know I believe in words completely. But I'm not talking to, we're talking about salvation, though, right now. What are you being saved from? Everybody has sinned and fallen short. Even the best, most well-behaved don't have a single right to claim their own holiness when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's only the righteousness of Christ. You see, what happens when you have no godly sorrow, which brings about biblical repentance? You begin to carry all your sin and garbage like heavy weights on your, the backs of your life. Old habits, past traumas, jobs, living arrangements, secret sins, open sins, other people's sins. You know, trust me, folks, many of us, we are, we're very concerned about what other people are doing. Very rarely will he be willing to take a good hard look at us 
We love to point out how other people are doing wrong because it makes us feel good in our own sin. What are you being saved from? You know, many of us have a bazillion excuses, reasons as to why we need to carry this stuff. And for many, it's never our fault. It's always someone or something that makes us carry this baggage around with us. It was amazing. The day I stopped doing drugs, this day the Lord saved my life and I stopped doing this, it was amazing. Cops don't look for you anymore. You're not in trouble. You're not always having to look. You're not always having to lie because it was actually me causing all the problem. It wasn't other people. When I stopped doing that life, I didn't have to get in fights anymore. Why? Because I wasn't doing bad stuff. It wasn't other people trying to seek me out. It was me causing the problem all the time. There was a book I remember reading about a lady saying she drank because she was so miserable. Finally, someone had the courage to tell her, hey, listen, you don't drink just because you're miserable. You're miserable because you drink. It's time to understand the problem. Quit blaming it on other people. But too many of us, we want to carry around our past, our burdens. Because we've thought that we've had to somehow work and earn our way into the kingdom. And, and if that's true, if you, if you can be good enough, then what are you being saved from? You're not being saved from anything. Because you're working your way into the kingdom. You've already made it. You've done good. You're perfect. You've got it. You don't need to be saved from anything. But you know in the back of your mind, your sin, it's been beating you down. You're always frustrated and hurting and thinking, how am I going to get free from this? What is it that you are carrying that is absolutely just wrecking your life, brother and sister? I mean, if there was something right at this moment that you could cry out to God and say, God, please take it from me, what would it be? What would it be? Yeah, I like this. There's a famous story. It happened back in 1845. The ill-fated Franklin expedition sailed from England to find passage across the Arctic Ocean. The crew landed their two sailing ships with a lot of things they didn't need. A 1,200-volume library, fine china, crystal goblets, sterling silverware for each officer with his initials engraved on the handles. Amazingly... Each ship only took a 12-day supply of coal for their auxiliary steam engines. The ships became trapped in vast frozen plains of ice. After several months, Lord Franklin died. The men decided to trek to safety in a small group, but none of them survived. One story is especially heartbreaking. Two officers pulled a large sled more than 65 miles across treacherous ice. When rescuers found their body, they discovered that the sled was filled with table silver those men contributed to their own demise by carrying what they didn't need but don't we do the same thing don't we drag baggage through life that we don't need evil thoughts maybe that hinder us bad habits that drag us down grudges that we won't let go and because repentance is such a feared or a mean word, as some would say, at it we rarely find it preached anymore out of the pulpits in the United States. Our American pulpits have become so watered down that it doesn't look anything like the gospel 
that's preached about in the Bible. The problem is in some churches, so, so many people are, are so self-righteous because they think they're doing right or holier than other people. They do this correctly or they don't do this. They keep these holidays or they don't keep those days. And, and when in reality, they are just as lost as everyone else that doesn't have Jesus. You see, there are so many people, and maybe there's some of you right now that are so pumped up in your own obedience that you got it. So maybe this message isn't for you. God bless you in that. But for those of us who understand our failures in need of a Savior, we got to realize that God is asking us if we want to get free. Historian Luke 7. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament. I mean, just absolute favorite stories. Luke 7, starting in verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went to the, into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. And when she knew that Jesus sat at meat at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him and said unto him, Simon... I have somewhat to say to thee. And he said, Master, say on. You, so, you see the interesting thing that's happening right here? Sometimes, folks, I think we forget that the Lord reads our minds and our thoughts. And isn't it interesting how the king of the universe is here? And he's thinking, if this man would have only known that she's a sinner. And here this man was actually reading his thoughts. So Jesus knows what's going on, and he outright just calls this guy out. He says, "There was a certain." He says, "Jesus answered, said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee." And he said, "Master, say on." There was a creditor, a certain creditor that had two debtors, the one five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both, telling them which of them will lose will love him most. Or excuse me, he said, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he who, to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gave me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven so here's this woman right she's in this pharisee's house she's been exposed to being a sinner 
Her dignity's gone. Her reputation's out the window. But instead of running away from her problem, instead of carrying her shame around, she runs to the feet of Jesus. You see, a lot of us, we have the same sin and shame. But we've come to the Lord instead. We've tried to cover it up, tried to act right, tried to think we were okay. And that's how we try to find this hope and salvation. But this woman, being completely exposed for all the wrong that she does, she runs right to the feet of Jesus and she begins to weep. You see, I love it because the Bible says that the very footstool of God is the mercy seat. Isn't that amazing? That the place where our Heavenly Father rests His feet is on mercy. And so here this woman comes. And remember, they said, Jesus said, you know, show us the Father and sufficeth us. He said, how long have I been with you and you have not known me? I mean, we're picturing, this is the picture of what's going on in heaven. And so she comes to the mercy seat. She comes right to the feet of Jesus. And it's at his feet she finds forgiveness. Because true repentance leads us to the feet of Jesus. It leads us to safety. And even though our modern-day churches, like the Pharisee, may condemn many of us, even though the world may condemn you, brother and sister, when you are in Christ, you are at the feet of Jesus, and the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, that woman, Jesus said, because she had been forgiven much, she loved much. My question is, what are you being saved from? What have you allowed God to forgive you for? You see where this is going? So many people, you're struggling right now to try to find this freedom, to try to find this uh, way to be set free, to overcome, to, 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 to live in freedom. And, and yet we're so unwilling to allow God to dig deep into our hearts and to expose whatever evil is in there and allow the godly sorrow of conviction to come down in. Because many of us, we've, maybe you've been in church your whole life or you've, you've never really strayed from the Lord. And so you've kind of always just, you know, ho-hummed along, not realizing that you have offended God. God, you've done wrong, and God's willing to forgive, but are you willing to allow that to come from the foundation of the middle of your soul because you understand that you have offended a holy God? See, there was this little boy. He was visiting his grandparents, and they gave him his first slingshot. He went out and he practiced in the woods, but he could never really hit his target. As he came back to Grandma's backyard, though, he spied her pet duck. And on a really stupid impulse, he took aim and let that stone fly. And believe it or not, he hit that duck and that duck fell dead. The boy ended up panicking. Desperately, he hid the dead duck in a woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching. Sally had seen everything that had taken place, but she said nothing. After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, 
let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny? And then she whispered over in Johnny's ear, remember that duck? So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help make supper. Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered, remember that duck, Johnny. So Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally, finally, he couldn't stand it. He confessed to his grandma that he had killed the duck. And his grandma said, I know, Johnny, she said. And she gave him a hug. I was standing at the window and I saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgive you. And I wondered just how long, Johnny, you were going to allow Sally to make you her slave. You see, folks, we're no longer a slave to sin, the Bible says. Grace came, so sin would not have dominion over us anymore. But God is calling us to come to this point. If you've never been there, maybe you've been there in life, and that's wonderful. But if you've never been to that point where you've been exposed and you realize that none of your good works can save you, that you are completely lost, and the only hope you have is to cry out to a holy God and ask Him to save your life, then my question is, what are you being saved from? The forgiveness of God will free you from the deepest of sins and it will set you free from the heaviest shackles of bondage. Godly sorrow that works repentance is the most incredible and beautiful gift God gives us because it drives us to his feet where we find grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Godly sorrow is key to end-time repentance and preparedness. You see, folks, there is something so freeing when you fall down before the Lord and you utterly cry out and say, God, I have nothing good to offer you. The only thing I can offer you, Lord, is my life. And Lord, I don't have a single ounce of anything good that I can say makes, causes me to deserve your salvation. But Lord, I'm asking today that you would not only forgive me, but you'd save me. And I'm sorry for offending you. Folks, it's the godly sorrow that the Lord says, please let me take that burden from you. Because when God gets down into the heart and he digs out in the godly sorrow and you can then accept that forgiveness for what you've done, oh, folks, you can start to live in holiness. You can start to live in righteousness. Because it's not yours anymore. It's God's. And when it's his, it's awesome and it's beautiful. But so many people you're trying to fight and you're trying to do and you're trying to earn and God's saying, you can't do that. Gotta give it over to me. You've messed up. You've done wrong. It's okay. Come to the Lord. Follow at his feet and you will find mercy. 
mercy at his feet is mercy you and I have all fallen short but the Bible says his arm is not too short that it cannot save God's calling you back home into the godly sorrow that works repentance so that he can free you from the baggage that you've been carrying around your whole life. And I guarantee you, you will experience the joy of the Lord. This is Brother Frank from the Rim Call saying, Good night and shalom.